You're listening to the James Faith in Jesus Work Series, preached by Pastor Dan Christians at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. I'm particularly excited to be in the text that we find ourselves tonight. I've never thought of myself as a person who would choose a life verse. I know some people, they have their life verse and they put it on a sign or a coffee cup or whatever, and that just encourages them. And I think that's a great thing, but I don't think I've ever said, this is what my life verse is going to be. But if you put a gun to my head and you made me choose, I would choose James chapter 4, verses 13 to 15. And these are the verses we find ourselves in this evening. So it's exciting for me to be able to preach about a passage that has honestly had a profound effect in my life. I think verse, these verses have, God has used often in my life to, to redirect my thinking and to remind me of what this is all about and remind me of what I should be seeking and planning for and striving toward. And so I hope that as we go through these verses tonight, God will use this in a similar way in your own life. Before we begin verse 13, I want to make a confession. For as much as I've loved these verses and for as long as I've been encouraged by them, I don't think I've ever made a connection between verse 13 to 17 and the preceding verses. I think that I've always kind of taken that text as its own grouping and never really thought about how it connects to everything that James has already said. It almost seems to me when you read it, That it's just this brand new thought that James begins. But I want to remind you tonight of what James has already said, briefly. And then what I want you to do is I want you to see if you can see the connection as we go through the verses tonight. And so James has already talked in the first few verses about the sinfulness of mankind. right? How sinful we are, that we have problems in our relationships because we desire to have, but we can't obtain. And so we fight and we war and kill all to get what we don't have because it's our flesh that desires these things and it produces such conflict in our lives. The solution given is that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So we find that all of that happens because of pride in our lives. And the solution is humble yourselves and receive the grace of God. Then he goes into the steps to repentance and godly living. Right? We draw near to God. We cleanse our hands of the sinful actions, behaviors that we're taking part in. We purify our hearts of the sinful attitudes, motivations that we have. And then we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift us up. This is the guide to repentance. How do you repent? Well, you you see that what you're doing is wrong. You want to be close to God. So you fix your actions. You fix your heart. You work on those things. And ultimately, you come humbly before God and allow him to lift you up. Then he gets into this, the, this part that we talked about two weeks ago on judgmentalism. He says, don't speak evil of a brother or sister because it lifts you up above them. Right? We've got to be careful that we're not speaking evil of people, slandering people. Just because what we're trying to do is put ourselves above them, we shouldn't do that. He says, recognize that you're all sinners. Who do you think you are? that you have the right to sit in judgment over others. And the implication there is that you're a sinner just like them. So in all of these circumstances, it seems like God is trying to bring us down, help us to see our own sin and our own need, and that the only path toward the grace of God is through humility. Now we get into verse 13. 
He says, go to now, you that say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Here is a man or a woman, but we're just going to go with a man tonight, that he's got this plan, right? So James says, go to now. And the idea there is that listen up or come on now or look here. And we expect as soon as he says that, that James is going to say something preposterous, right? Something that doesn't make any sense. Like somebody is doing something so obviously wrong and sinful. And he's like, come on, guys. Like, how could you think this? But then when he says what he says, you almost go, wait, James, like, why are you, why are you have a problem with what they're doing? I mean, it doesn't seem that bad, does it? Go to now, you that say today or tomorrow, we're going to such city, we're going to continue their year, we're going to buy and sell and get again. It just sounds like a normal plan that any business person would make, right? I mean, their plan, if we just spell it out, is we have goods that we're going to sell, we're going to go into the city, we're going to buy, we're going to sell, we're going to get gain, which is what every business is trying to do all the time, right? That's not an evil thing, that's not a bad thing. We're going to be there a year and we're going to, we're going to make some money. Hey, sounds like a good plan. Doesn't seem so bad to me so far. If you have a business, is it possible to run that business without making plans? No. I mean, it's it's really not. Every business person has to make plans. And so is planning as a general habit or activity a bad thing? You guys got to be here tonight, right? Yes or no? No. Right. It's not. In fact, I would say that if you live your life without planning anything, you're a fool. It doesn't make any sense. You can't go through life without making plans. The Bible tells us we should be making plans. It tells us to plan for the future. I I love how in the book of Proverbs that the, the people of God are expected to plan for difficulty in the future and have stores of goods and foods ready for themselves in those difficult times. Do you notice that when God helped Israel out of Egypt, he provided manna every day they were in the wilderness, right? So every day that they had no ability to provide for themselves, God miraculously provided for them. And do you know what he said the moment they stepped into the the promised land? Farm it. Start working. Start planning ahead. Start making your own food. I mean, manna could have continued forever. It's not like God ran out. But God does have a plan for his people, and and he wants his people to plan and to work and to do these things. And so nothing that is said so far seems bad at all. Now, the one clue that may help us here is that the word say is the word lego, lego, L-E-G-O in Greek. And that means to lay forth a plan, and the idea is something that has been well-reasoned out and thought out and, and rationalized. So it's not just to, to speak like, hey, this is what I'm doing. It's like I'm, I'm going to lay out a very well-reasoned, perfectly planned idea here. It's, it's the same way that a general would lay out a plan of attack against their enemy. They'd have it planned. They'd have a systematic discourse, a rational speech. So now James is going to take these people that are doing something that, that I think we could all agree doesn't seem so bad on the outside, and he's going to hit them between the eyes with two truths. Verse 14, he says, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. Okay, first truth. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. For what is your life? Second truth. It is a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Right? You don't know tomorrow. You don't know the future. And your life is short. 
It will soon be consumed. It will soon disappear. It will be gone. Right? We can't know the future. We can plan all that we want to, can't we? How many people are like type A people here? You like to have everything planned out and figured out. And yeah, there, I mean, there's a lot of you, right? And it bothers you when you don't have a plan for, for a big event that has to happen. Okay? We all need people like that in our lives. I have Tara. <laughs> she, she really likes to have things planned. And so I think together we kind of balance, balance one another out. Um, but plans, they're not a bad thing. But can I tell you something? When we think we can plan our life out and we got it all figured out, we've missed it. You, a storm comes you didn't expect. You lose a job. There's a fire in your house. There's a car accident on the way home from church. You have no idea if you're, if you're going to sleep tonight. None of us do. You have sickness. There's a lump where there shouldn't be one. There's a mole that changes shape. You have a cough that just won't go away. A pain in your arm. Stuttered or slurred speech. A crooked smile. Happens in an instant, right? Nobody plans for that. Nobody, nobody works that in. Like, well, I'm going to live my life for this long, and this is the, the years that I get cancer. This, this is the years where this is the time I have a stroke. This is when my heart attack happens. You can't plan for that. And so he says, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Be careful when you're making all these plans. Your life is short, and it will soon be consumed. And he uses this vivid imagery for us, right? Your life is like a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. And we've all seen kettles boil before, right? You see the steam rise out of the kettle, and then it's gone. You look out of your window in the morning, and you see this fog. And as soon as the sun hits it, it's gone. That's the idea here. Your life is a vapor. Now, when you're, when you're 15 years old, it feels like you've got your, your whole life ahead of you. You've got all this time. You never think about death or that it's ending. I, like, I feel like I'm just getting into those years where I'm starting to think, my daughter's 10, like 11. How old are you? You're 10. You're 11. 10? Okay, she's going to be 11 really soon. The reason I was having trouble with that is because she's going to be in youth group next year. And I was like, if she's going to be in youth group next year, then she's got to be 11 now. But I thought she was 10, so I was ready for some. Anyways, um, like, how is that possible? No, I remember being 10. I remember things that I liked when I was 10. I remember the sports I was involved in when I was 10. I went to see a, a hockey game a last Saturday of some 11-year-old boys, and I thought, I remember my 11-year-old hockey team, and I want that back. Um, so I played hockey yesterday night, and I killed myself. It was the first time I played in a couple of years. Anyways, um, this is too much about me. We don't need to talk about me. Your life is short. My life is short, right? And it's going to be gone. And even if you get to live to your 80 or 90, it's still short, right? And we've, we've all seen that the rope that extends out of the church building and the little tip of red on the end is your life. And the rest represents eternity. And it just keeps going. And your life seems like a while now, but it's short. and It'll be gone soon. And so, does our lack of future knowledge or the brevity of life mean that we should not make plans? Well, no. I mean, you shouldn't make plans. So what is he getting at? I think what he's getting at here is that their plans were missing a necessary component. 
Their plans were of momentary benefit, but were eternally bankrupt. There was nothing that lasts past their momentary pleasure, their momentary gain, what they would be able to do with the money that they made. It was all about today, all about tomorrow, all about the pleasure that I get to enjoy, and not at all about how this is going to further the kingdom of God, not all about how this is going to help other people, not all about anything that God cares about. It was all about them. So plans are fine, plans are good, plans are necessary even. But when our plans don't line up in any way, shape, or form with the will of God, then, then James says, go to now. Come on, man. What are you doing? What are you living for? Why are you making these foolish plans when there's such important things to live for? He says in verse 15, For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. And here is the missing place, peace. If the Lord wills, we shall live. Recognize that? You live tonight. You you live through your sleep tonight because God willed it to happen. If the Lord will, you'll breathe tomorrow. And if we can keep that as our first like starting point with any plans we make, I can guarantee your plans will start to take a better shape. If God wills, I get to live. And so what am I going to do with the time that God has given me? If the Lord wills, we will do this or that. And, and the, the second part is, that if the Lord wills, what will we do? What, what is the Lord's will for us to do? What does he want us to do? I do not believe that James is advocating that we put the phrase, if the Lord wills, before we explain any of our plans, right? Tonight, after we finish the meeting, I hope we do this quickly, there's some curling on that I'd like to to watch in the Olympics, okay? I'm not going to say, hey, if the Lord wills, I'm going to watch curling tonight, right? I I, I could say that. There's nothing wrong with saying that, but I don't need to say that because it's not the phrase that matters. It's the attitude. In the plans that you make, is your attitude If God gives me life, then I'm going to do what he wants me to do. I'm going to do the will that he has for me. Now, I'm just letting you in on this. This sermon tonight is the first of three in this passage. And so we're going to get into a lot more detail about what God's will is, because I think sometimes that's very mysterious to us um, in future weeks. But for now, let's just think that what we should be um, concerned with in our lives is what does God want for me in this life? This day, tomorrow, and it for my future. We ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. Do you know that if we don't live with this in mind, God gives me life, I'm going to do what he wants? We are practical atheists. If you don't live with the idea that you're here for the glory of God, because of him, for him, then your belief that God exists has zero impact on your life. Practically, it means nothing. Unfortunately, it seems almost normal for Christians to act this way. I loved what Pastor said this morning, that there are times that we think in our minds that we want a certain outcome, but when we prioritize everything else and we forget about that thing that's most important, we should never be surprised about the consequences of that. Right? You prioritize things of this world, and ultimately your kids have the same priorities, you might want them to be in church, you might want them to love the Lord, but if you're not teaching them that all the time, they're not going to get it. 
That was so, it's so essential to get that. The people we see, the people we work with, the people we rub shoulder with, shoulders with all the time should not be surprised that you're a believer in Christ. It should be something that's oozing from you all the time. It should be evident in the things that you desire, the things that you pursue, the things that you enjoy, the things that you invest in, the plans that you make. Your plans should, and I would say will, ooze what you love the most. And so we are constantly shouting to the world around us what is most important to us. So the question for you is, how are you spending your time? How are you spending your money? How are you using the gifts that God has given you? Do not expect to reap a return on an investment that you have not made. And I can imagine talking to these guys. I can imagine having these guys that are making all these plans show up in church and explain the plans and not think for a second that any of it, has a, it is a problem at all. These are plans. I'm a business person. I'm going to do what I, what I want to do, what I think I should do to further my business. And the problem is they're not giving any thought to what God wants them to do with their lives. Verse number 16. But now you rejoice in your boastings, and all such rejoicing is evil. Here we get to their hearts, right? Finally, he exposes what's behind their plans. He says you rejoice or you boast in or you glory in your boastings. You are glorying in your own schemes. And we can picture somebody doing this, can't we? That they, they think about all their plans and all the ways that they're going to succeed and all the deals that they're going to make and the money that they're going to make and, and how they figured out how to, to move this product to these people for this price and how it's going to work out so well. And they're rejoicing, they're glorying in all of their plans, all of who they are and what they're going to do. And what a waste of, of glory. What a wasted thing to rejoice in, to boast in. All such rejoicing is evil. And when he says that, we realize that he's not just talking about these guys, these folks making these plans. He's saying all of you, whoever are living for this kind of life, that you're living for what you want, your pleasure today, all of that's evil. It's not just them. It's us too. It's not limited to these fellows and their plans. Any person who lives with their plans and their benefit as central to their being is committing sin. So verse 17 says, Therefore to him that knows to do good, does it not, to him it is sin. When you know what you ought to do and you refuse to do it, you have sinned. I'm told the pizza is going to be here in four minutes. You've got to hurry up. Because we'll be spending a few weeks here, that's okay. <laughs> Um, I hope that you feel like you've left tonight as though there's more to cover in the text than what we've covered. But what I want to do for the last few minutes here is I want to point out at least a few problems with the plans that these men are making. And I want, what I want you to do is I want you to think about your plans. Think about your goals. Think about what you're investing in or what you desire to accomplish or what you're working toward. Okay, So we all are going in different directions. We all have different desires and gifts and jobs and and careers and lives and we're all going somewhere so where are you going and i want you to think about where you're going and compare them to the problems that these guys had in their plans okay problem number one their plan was lacking eternal value 
The plan was lacking in eternal value. This is not to say their plans were bad. They may have been great plans. In fact, they may, these guys might be great business people. And maybe in, in a normal setting, if God didn't intervene or whatever, that their plans would have been very successful as far as they were concerned. But they were lacking in eternal value. We all have this desire to be rich, to enjoy our lives. And I think the desire that's demonstrated by these guys to go out and make plans, make money, do, you know, enjoy it, it's just, it's just a normal thing for humanity. You know, Jesus told a very similar story about a farmer. And this farmer had a harvest that was greater than he could handle in his barns. Rather than giving out all the rest, rather than realizing that God had blessed him so that he could bless others, he devised a plan. And his plan would be to go and build bigger barns so that he could fill them up. Once he had enough of them filled up, he could take his rest, take his ease. And everybody else is looking at this man thinking, man, I wish I could be that guy. That guy has it all together. He's got such great plans. He's got these barns full. He's got the Lamborghini and the beautiful garage three-car garage. I mean, he's got his life sorted. And God says, tonight, your life is required of, of thee. He says, you're a fool. A fool. And everybody else thinks he's just brilliant. And God says, you're a fool, because he invested everything he had into this life. Their plans were lacking eternal value. So, if plans are like investments, what are you investing in? What are you working toward? Or are any of the things that you're working toward in your life have any type of eternal impact, right? I mean, you're planning your school, or you're planning where you're going with your job, or you're planning where you're taking your kids and what you want for them, or you're planning what you want in your marriage, what you want your marriage to look like in the future, or you're planning what you want, what kind of legacy that you want to leave to those behind you. How many of those things are, are full of eternal value? How many are just, oh, I want them to be better than other kids? If your plans come to fruition, how would they impact eternity? Who would be in heaven because you met your goal? What is on the calendar this coming year that is not only bettering your circumstances today? Are your temporal sacrifices short-sighted? See, we're all willing to make some sacrifices in our life. The question is, are we making sacrifices because we believe the sacrifice today will make tomorrow better? Or are we making sacrifices because we believe the sacrifices today will benefit eternity? There's a big difference between those things. So our plans are lacking eternal value. Number two, their plans benefited only themselves. This falls naturally from number one. Um, when business was complete, if all went well, only the business, only those men, only their families would be benefited. We don't know their situation, right? We, we don't know if they were leaving uh, any responsibilities they had at home. We don't, we don't know if their wives wanted them to go. We don't know if they had other things that they were neglecting. It doesn't even seem like any of those things are the case. It just seems like if all of their plans came to fruition, the only people that would be better off would be them and those very close to them. So if you are making plans and investing your time and resources and setting goals, who benefits from those things? In the book of Second Timothy, Paul is telling Timothy about some things that are going, to, are going to happen in the last days. And he gives Timothy a list of these evil characteristics that you'll see in people 
as the world gets worse and worse. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, he says, This you know, that in the last days, perilous, difficult, troublesome times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud. Now the list goes on, but I thought it's interesting how he begins the list with these four characteristics that seem to describe these men so well. Right? They love themselves. They want more for themselves. They're boasting and they're proud about who they are and what they're going to accomplish. That's a sign of, a sign of like, this is the, the evil and the sinfulness that will come as time gets worse and worse. Be very careful, that's not us. Their plans benefited only themselves. Number three, their plans did not require the help of God to complete. Okay? Now, we understand that every breath requires the help of God. So, they weren't thinking about that. They weren't bringing God in on their plans. The truth is, all of our plans are subject to God's sovereignty, whether we like it or not. But because their plans were focused solely on this world and exclusively on their own benefit, they could not ask God for help. So here's a test for you. When you think about the plans that you're making, would you feel foolish praying that God helps you in those plans? Because if your plans are really self-centered and they're really about today and, and not about eternity, we should feel, our conscience should feel a little bit guilty about praying for those things. If you're always only praying for yourself, I mean, if your prayers, if your prayers were answered and nobody else is ever impacted by your answered prayers, that's a big problem. And so they didn't require God's help to complete, or at least they didn't think they needed to. Hey, here's some plans that God's people have made throughout the time. And and these are plans that required God to complete. I'm always amazed when you look at the Old Testament, the kind of faith that people had, but they understood who they were serving. They understood who God was. And so Noah Noah sets a goal. He's going to build an ark that's seaworthy. That's 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 50 feet high, high. And he's going to do it without electricity or any modern tools. Now, Steve Bima is a great carpenter, but he couldn't do this, right? This is crazy. It's a crazy goal. And why why do it? But he does it. He sets these plans. Now, God told him to do it, and so he was obeying God. Um, Moses, right? His goal, his plan, is to take upwards of 2 million people out of slavery in Egypt, into a promised land, wherever that was. That's quite the goal. Hey, I'm just going to walk up to Pharaoh and let him know that we're going to take all of his slaves. doesn't make any sense, right? There's no way that can be accomplished apart from God. David's goal is to slay a giant with a slingshot. Here's a kid that goes to I mean, the armor doesn't fit on him. So he goes into battle with no armor and a slingshot, And his goal is to take down a giant. How about Nehemiah? He hears about the problem of building the temple. He knows that there are are people attacking them and that that they can't build the temple properly because they've got a a sword in one hand and a hammer in the other, and it's not working. And so his goal is to go build a wall around the city. We're not talking like a a tiny little wall. We're talking about a, a fairly large city that requires a very thick, very sturdy, high wall that would keep intruders out. And he wants to leave his job and at the same time ask his boss for resources and manpower 
to go fund this project when this guy has this king has absolutely no reason to help him. And he prays. And God makes all of those things possible. Because his plans required God's help. And we could go on and on. The point is, setting goals and making plans that requires the help of God will ensure that we are constantly depending upon him through them. So I would encourage you, set some goals that are for the kingdom of God that require the help of God to complete. And finally, problem number four, their plans did not contribute to the glory of God. And really, this is the real problem. These men were proud, and they were all about their own glory. They were boasting in their schemes, their plans, their ability to execute these plans, and they missed what they were created to do. We have been created to to glorify the creator. And when we're not accomplishing that, we will never, you'll never find the, the satisfaction, the peace, the joy in knowing that you're doing what you were made to do. You're not made to fill up your garage. You're not made to have people know your name. You're not made to do to any of those things that, that lift you up. You're made to lift up the creator, to glorify him. And their plans had nothing about God in them. At some point, we have to decide who we are trying to please. At some point, we need to decide who we want to shine the light on. Are we going to be like John the Baptist who says, I must decrease so that he can increase? Or are we going to live the life that most people live that's all about their own increase? Um, tonight we sang the song, All Glory Be to Christ. I think it's, it's a wonderful song. It's an awesome song. And I just want to read to you the lyrics of the first few verses because they really encapsulate this whole thought. It says, Should nothing of our efforts stand, no legacy survive, unless the Lord does raise the house, in vain its builders strive. To you who boast tomorrow's gain, tell me, what is your life? A mist that vanishes at dawn, all glory be to Christ. So in verse 3, he tells us the attitude we ought to have. His will be done, his kingdom come, on earth as is above, who is himself our daily bread, praise him, the Lord of love. What is the purpose of your plans? Do they have eternal value? Will they be of benefit to others? Are they for the glory of God? What we ought to be able to say is if the Lord will, we will live and do this or that.